invite you to turn in your Bibles now as we go to our teaching time in God's Word. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 23 through 27. We're continuing uh, throughout the fall asking the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Not just believe and have faith in Him, but how does that faith kind of get arms and legs in my life? How do I live as a follower of Jesus? If you read the Gospels carefully, that's Jesus' invitation. He's always calling folks to, hey, come along, come follow me. What does that look like for you and me today? So I want to talk to the dads for just a minute. I want you to fast forward a couple months. It's, it's Christmas Eve, uh, and it's finally, I don't know what time it might be at your house, but it's whatever time is when it's finally quiet. And everybody's gone to bed except for maybe you and your wife, and you're maybe relaxing by the fire, you're maybe having a little, you know, Christmas cookie, maybe a glass of wine, whatever, but you finally relax. When your wife looks at you and says, oh, I forgot there's one more gift, and it needs to be put together. (laughs) And she hands you a box with those three dreaded words on the outside, some assembly required. Now, I've been in that situation before, not because Cindy gave it to me late, but because I procrastinated. And I've always had the same thought. This is not going to be hard. It's going to be real simple. And I don't need to read the instructions. Who needs instructions? Men don't need directions, and men don't need instructions. And every woman in here knows exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be an unmitigated disaster. Tom's going to finish putting whatever it is together, and it's going to be upside down. There are going to be eight pieces left on the floor that he couldn't figure out where they went, and it's just going to be an absolute mess because he didn't follow the instructions. I think Jesus is encouraging us in the passage we're looking at this morning and in other passages to carefully read the instructions. Being a Christian is not just about a one-time decision to put your faith in Jesus and then go, okay, now I can check that off, now I can go on with the rest of my life. Being a Christian means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So we have to have some instructions to that end, and thank goodness the Lord doesn't leave us alone to make them up as we go along. He actually tells us what it means to be his followers. So we want to look at that this morning because, in a sense, there's some assembly required. Luke chapter 9 Verses 23 to 27, Jesus is part of Jesus' definition on discipleship. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you, truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you don't leave us on our own to determine or to define discipleship. Thank you that you call us to believe in you, to to trust in you, but you also call us to follow, and you tell us what that means. Lord, we won't get it perfect. We know that. We will stumble. We will at times take our eyes off of you. We will make even egregious errors, of which we will be greatly ashamed, but you will be the faithful one. You are the one who never leaves us or abandons us. The one who calls us to follow is the one who promises to lead. And your leadership never fails. So Lord, help us to grow in our discipleship this morning. Help us to understand more clearly what it means uh, 
to follow you. Father, we have not come here to hear the words of man. My words are no more important than anyone else's, probably even less so. But Lord, we need your eternal word abiding in our hearts and in our minds, and it is that for which we pray. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me be a hindrance to your teaching this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So sermon of sentence is pretty simple and straightforward. It goes like this. Following Jesus is my choice. How I follow Jesus is his. Following Jesus is my choice, but how I follow Jesus is his. Now, I know that some of you good Reformed Presbyterians, your blood pressure is going up really quickly right now because you think I've turned into a Baptist. What, what's this whole thing about choice? And, and is it God sovereign over all of salvation? Yes, absolutely. God is sovereign over everything in all time and all creation and all space. But in that sovereignty, we see within the context of Scripture, people choosing to not follow Jesus. And my experience in my life has been to share the gospel with as many people as I possibly can. Many of those people put their faith in Christ. Many of those people choose not to. So we're looking at that idea under the context of the sovereignty of God. But I want to take us to a couple of scriptures just to remind us about this. So Jesus is getting ready to set out on a journey. And in Mark's gospel, we understand this is actually a young man who comes up. But a man runs up and kneels before him and asks him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. And what a great posture in which to ask the question. He realizes that there's something special about Jesus. He kneels before him. And he seems to be asking absolutely the right question. He looks like a person who's in an instant going to become a disciple as soon as he gets this answer. Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. But then he goes on to answer the question, which means Jesus understands that he is God. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, don't bear false witness, don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. All these things, he says, I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and here's that invitation again, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. He chose not to follow Jesus. I want to take you to one other passage in John's Gospel, chapter 6. Jesus has just finished a very difficult teaching on what it means for him to sacrifice himself and how his disciples are to participate in that. We're going to participate in a communion this morning, but he talks in terms of eating my flesh and drinking my blood. It's metaphorical language, but the people who are listening to him freak out. They think he's lost his mind. They think he's become a madman. And when many of the disciples, is where we pick it up, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Following Jesus is my choice. But how I follow is defined by him, not by me. That's what we want to look at this morning in this passage. How I follow Jesus depends on how he lays out the, the, the framework for my following. So in verse 23, we see that Jesus begins to talk about our devotion to him. If anyone, 
anybody at all, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I want to start with that last word that's underlined daily. And I just want to remind us, I've already said it, this is, a, this is a decision that we make moment by moment, day by day. Being an active follower of Jesus is something that in which I participate on an ongoing basis. I'll continue to do that until the day I die and I see my Lord face to face. What am I doing on a daily basis? Well, the overarching statement, Jesus says, you're coming after me. Well, what does that mean? What Jesus is saying is you're going to attach yourself to me as my disciple. So remember, the disciple is the lesser and the teacher is the greater. Our theme verse for the week or for the, for the, uh, the series is that the, the student doesn't need to be greater than the teacher, but to become like the teacher. So Jesus says, you're going to come after me. You're going to attach yourself to me as a disciple, and you're going to do that in three very specific ways. The first one is you're going to deny yourself. Now, what do you think of when you think of deny yourself? When I think of that, I think, you know what? I probably need to lose a few pounds, so I'm going to deny myself some sweets. I'm going to, I'm going to deny myself a little bit of sitting on the couch and watching TV, and I'm probably going to go to the gym and work out. I think about something that I can kind of live without, but that's not the meaning that Jesus has when he uses this phrase. What Jesus is saying is that I'm going to give up any and all self-reliance as a means of salvation. In other words, I'm not going to think that I can earn my salvation. I'm not going to practice what we would call a salvation by works, which goes something like this. Okay, there's probably something wrong between me and God. Because, you know, I know I gossip a little bit. I know maybe I, I don't give much money to the church. I know, I, 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 you know I've, I've lied a few times. I probably got to figure out a way to make that right. And I know in my heart there's probably a God and he's probably not too happy with me. What will I do? I'll do a bunch of stuff that will make him happy. And that way when he looks at me, he'll go check. He, he or she can come right in. That's a works salvation. And what Jesus is saying is you got to throw that in the trash can. <laughs> you got to get rid of that. You have to absolutely uh, refuse to accept that you can save yourself. You're so far gone. It isn't possible for you to save yourself. Let me do that work. So Jesus says, come after me. The first thing of discipleship is putting our faith in him, not in ourselves. So we deny ourselves. And then the second thing of coming after is to take up the cross. Now, when you think about the cross, sometimes people say, well, that's, that's an instrument of suffering. Uh, Jesus suffered on the cross, and that's very true. It, 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 I wouldn't advise any young people, little ones, to read what it really means to die on a cross. The older you get, you study that, you look at it, you go, wow, that is really gruesome. It's awful for a person to suffer. But a cross was not an instrument of suffering. It was an instrument of death. It was a certain way a person was going to die. It was an awful way, but the end object was death. What Jesus says is you need to pick up that object of death. You need to die to yourself, and you need to come along and follow me. Taking up my cross means that I am going to give Jesus all of my fidelity in all things, no matter the cost, that I actually want my old self to die, and I want to experience new resurrected life in him, which we'll come to in a couple minutes. But the first step in, in getting to that new resurrected life is taking up that cross. It's understanding that he is the Lord. And I'm going to follow him no matter what. I read a really fascinating article this week about uh, Christians in Iran and about how the church is literally exploding in that country. Now, it's very much under the radar. You don't hear about it in the news. Uh, all of the churches are home churches, very small groups of people. But literally thousands and thousands of folks are coming to Christ in Iran, but at great risk to themselves because it's against the law in Iran 
to be a believer, and it's punishable by death. Here's part of what the article said. New believers in the Islamic Republic face great risks. And then they quote, uh, they quote a woman who's a pastor of one of the house churches, and she says this, we know that if they get us, the first thing they will do as a woman is rape us, and then they will beat us, and ultimately they will kill us. Another believer said, this is the decision that we have made that we want to offer our bodies as sacrifices because I have this thought when I wake up that when I leave that door, I might not come back. I'm pretty sure this morning when I was getting ready to come to church, that thought didn't cross my mind. But that's fidelity. That is saying, no matter what, I am taking up the cross. I'm dying to myself and what I think I want, what I think I need, and I'm giving my fidelity completely and wholly as I possibly can to the Lord Jesus in all things, no matter the cost. Jesus says, come on after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and then he says, follow me. Following is a submission of my will to his. It's that old hymn, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Someone asked me one time, what, is it, what do I have to give up if I'm going to follow Jesus? And it was a very easy answer. It's one word, everything. You give up everything when you follow Jesus. You are no longer Lord or master or controller of anything in your life. Every human relationship you have now belongs to the Lordship of Jesus. Your career, your earning potential, your bank account, your sexual identity, your time, your family— All of that belongs to the Lord Jesus. It is his to do with as he sees fit. That's what it means to follow, which means it means sacrifice. What means I need to set my will aside and continually say, Lord, your will be done. Now, by this point in the sermon, we ought to to be saying, if we're paying any attention at all, that's pretty tough. (laughs) The, the, The notion of denying myself, taking up my cross and following Jesus, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna make some mistakes in that this week. And that's exactly right. Jesus is not calling us to, it's got to be perfect or we lose our discipleship, but rather he's moving us into a lifestyle. He's moving us into a relationship that when it takes root in our lives, when it takes hold, it actually creates something absolutely glorious. Think about it in these terms. Wouldn't you love to have people in your life day in and day out who were devoted to Jesus somewhere near a level like this? Wouldn't it be amazing to work with people like that? Wouldn't it be amazing to, to, to have, you know, the classrooms that our children attend filled with other children who are hearing and, and growing in that same way? That would be truly remarkable. That's what heaven's going to be like is discipleship accomplished. Heaven is going to be perfect. It's going to be when we're all made completely in the image of Jesus Christ. This is the journey until we get there. I don't know if you know this or not, but people... Uh, tell me about you guys from time to time. Maybe a better way to say it is, do you know that people tattle on you with me from time to time? I'm not sure why they do it. I'm not sure what they think I'm going to do with the information. But typically the conversation or the email starts out something along the lines of, I want to tell you about what something somebody did from your church. And I want to say, A, it's Jesus' church, and B, it says Green Tree. I'm not sure my name's in there anywhere. But, but I'm not sure if they're like, you're not a very good pastor because your people aren't behaving well, or if they're saying, I want you to do something about it. I'm never quite sure about that. But then it'll be something negative, like they'll say, somebody from your church was like driving down the road and made a really rude gesture to a fellow driver, and I saw him do it. And you know what I'm thinking at that moment? I'm not thinking, well, I'm going to call so-and-so and tell him. I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad it wasn't me this time. 
That was a close one because that certainly could have been me. Last Thursday, that would have been me. I'm not sure why people tattle on you, but they do. But but it's okay because every once in a while, they tell me great stuff. Like last week, I had a note from a person, and it was a a good-sized note. And she was talking about three of you, and you will remain nameless. I won't tell you which three it were, but she was talking about a hard time in her life that she was going through. And she was talking about how she didn't go to this church. And so they're they're my people. So a lot of times they're like, yeah, they're my people. (laughs) But she said, I I cannot tell you how much they cared for me. And then she literally started to list the ways that these three people had cared for her. And it was really pretty remarkable. And I'm studying this passage of scripture and I'm like, that's it. It's not like a to-do list that, that, you know, is hard. This is a joyful, glorious opportunity to enter into the world with the heart and the mind of Jesus and to share that with other people. That's where that devotion leads us. So our first thought about how to lead, Jesus says, I want that devotion given to me. Secondly, and we have three, three observations here. Secondly, as Jesus tells us about the outcome of that devotion in verses 24 and 25, but whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? What Jesus is saying here is that the outcome of this devotion, of putting our faith completely in him, of coming after him, following him, is a genuine, everlasting life. And when I think about it in those terms, the thought crosses my mind, well, who doesn't want to live? Now, I know people get destroyed. Depressed. I know people wrestle with anxiety. I I read an amazing article this last week on depression that was very helpful for me to try to understand it. But but even folks who wrestle with depression wish they didn't have it because they'd like to be set free to enjoy life. That that's just natural for every human being. That's what that's what every story is really built upon. It's built upon the notion of life. And so I I picked out a couple of movies. One which is really a favorite. Another one is I, I, I didn't like it at all. So there you have the Titanic. And and there they are in the front of the Titanic, blissfully ignorant that in the next few hours it's going to get really bad for them. Uh, and Leon Dion is singing some song that is just absolutely remarkable. And they're loving life. It's just that just exudes romance and love and life. And, and, and when they don't, well, I hope you've seen Titanic because he doesn't make it. Um, <laughs> but she does. But that's the tragedy of the movie, that, that life is lost. And then they're saving Private Ryan, which is maybe perhaps, it, you can't watch it until you get to be 18 or 19 years old, but it perhaps is one of the best treaties on the Second World War that I've ever seen. Steven Spielberg is an absolute genius, but it's a story about salvation. There's a guy named Ryan, Private Ryan who's in Europe after D-Day, right after D-Day, and the story goes that he had their four brothers, and uh, he's the fourth of four, and his other three brothers have already been killed. And so they want to get him out of Normandy. They want to get him back to safety so that he can live. And at the very end of the movie, uh, Tom Hanks' character is the captain of the platoon who goes looking for him and finds him and rescues him. Uh, several of the guys in the platoon have lost their life in that endeavor. And one of the last things that the captain says to the private Ryan, he says, now you earn this. You earn this. And what's he saying to him? He said, now you better go live a good life because you're, you're getting life. And, and there are several guys here that aren't going to get it. They gave their lives for you. Who doesn't want life? Everybody wants life. And Jesus says, I'm offering you the outcome of this devotion is genuine, everlasting life. So following him 
means a voluntary forfeiture. It means that I give my life to Christ. Everything I was, everything I am, and everything I will be. I lose my life for his sake. I give myself to him. He's not necessarily talking about martyrdom there, although it could be. But really what he's talking about is a complete and honest trust in him alone. And if we do that, he promises us something greater than somebody handing you the entire world. That's what that verse says. Think about that for just a minute. This is not winning the lottery. This is making that look like peanuts. Remember when the lottery is like 700 million or got over a billion dollars one time last year. I don't remember what the payout was. It was like $500 million or something like that. This is, not, this is somebody saying to you, you have the whole world. What would you do if somebody handed you the whole world right now? Would you stay in St. Louis, watch a game this afternoon? You might, but you own the Cardinals now. You get to pick the starting, you know, do you like the starting pitcher for a day? If not, you can change it. You could actually put a hex on the Braves and make them lose. I mean, you're in complete control right now. That sounds pretty, you can go anywhere you want to. If you want to own some islands in the Pacific, you can go on some islands and tell the rest of us we can't come visit. You get to do it because it's all yours. There's some, you can say, I'm going to cure cancer tomorrow. There's some amazing things you could do if you had the whole world. Jesus says it doesn't begin to compare with what I'm going to promise you. You could gain all of that and you would have nothing. You put your faith in me, the outcome of your devotion is genuine, everlasting life. Does that not bring peace to our hearts? Does that not encourage us in moments of darkness and despair? I want to ask a question. I actually do want to see a show of hands. If you have lost a loved one, could be a family member, could be a friend, to death, and let's say in the last five years, but that person was a Christian, they were a follower of Jesus, would you raise your hand right now? Look around the room. There are probably two, three dozen people that, that have their hands up right now. Thank you for, for doing that. I lost my mom in July, and I appreciate the prayers and the encouragement. Please keep them coming. Um, but I didn't say goodbye to my mom. And I remember the Tuesday morning, I walked, I walked out of her room, and I knew it was the last time I was going to see her. And I said, I'll see you later. I'll see you later, Mom. Why? Because of this verse. Because the outcome of her faith leads to genuine, everlasting life. The devotion to which Jesus calls us gives us great peace because we know that he guarantees our salvation. And thirdly, there's also the question not only of absolute devotion or the outcome of our devotion, but Jesus speaks about evidence for or evidence of our devotion. Verses 26 and 27, forever is ashamed of me and my words of him Will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels? But I tell you, truly, the, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. The notion of, of uh, ashamed, being embarrassed to claim as your own. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been embarrassed to be a Christian? Have you ever been in a, in a, in a maybe it's a party, maybe it's a school and a class. It could be in a lot of different settings. It could be with your own family where folks don't believe and you just, you know, everybody's like, you know, we're going to talk about Christians again and they all look at you like you're kind of a fool. Have you ever had that moment where you were more mortified that others knew that you loved Jesus than you were overjoyed? Have you ever been tempted to look at your relationship with Jesus, not with unabashed delight, but with a quiet embarrassment? These are very real issues that we face in our day and age uh, it would not be uh, out of the realm of possibility to think you could be in a setting before the, this week is over where people mock you for your faith. And Jesus reminds us of, of the greater promise. There's a promise that he's coming back. There's a promise that he's going to draw his people to himself. And so he says, don't be ashamed of me now. 
I don't want to be ashamed of you later. I want you to be with me, so put your trust in me. Follow me. Rest in my love for you and boldly proclaim my name. I want to take us back to the Iranian Christians for just a second. They were talking about their, their newfound faith. They're talking about how they, how they talk to one another and how they preach the gospel, so to speak, to one another. And one of their leaders said this, disciples forsake the world and cling to Jesus until he comes. Converts don't. Disciples aren't engaged in a culture war. Converts are. Deci- excuse me. Disciples cherish, obey, and share the word of God. Converts don't. Disciples choose Jesus over anything and everything else. Converts don't. Converts run when the fire comes. Disciples don't. We want to make disciples. I think that's right. And yet I know that there's a temptation there and probably in each one of our lives, unless you're just the bravest person in this room, and somebody's got to be the bravest person in this room, so it might be you. But most of us get a little weak in the knees when the spotlight's on us, when people are, are speaking negatively about the Christian faith. At that moment, let me encourage you to remember of Jesus' devotion to you. When you're tempted to uh, just kind of sit this one out and for fear of being ridiculed, let me encourage you to look back to the Lord and what he says to his disciples, because that's really what verse 27 is all about. People think verse 27 is kind of doesn't quite fit, but actually it fits beautifully. Jesus says, I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now, what does that, what were they seeing? What Jesus is speaking about specifically there is that his disciples would live to see his crucifixion. They would live to see the devotion he had for them. But they wouldn't just see that. They would live to see his resurrection. They would live to see his triumph over sin because that's part of Jesus' devotion to you and me too. Because if it's not, then we're all lost and, and we ought to just stop right now and make the best of it. They would live to see his ascension into heaven. They would live to see the coming of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. They would live to see a movement that won't stop until Christ comes back. That's the devotion that Christ has for us. And he calls us to trust in that. He calls us to rest in that. Even when there are moments where we're we're tempted to say that we don't know Jesus. Because we know that when we are with him, when we are following him, when we're coming after him, that he will care for us and that he will bring us home. I've told this story before, but I think it's a little while before. I think it's been a while since I told it. There's a dad who had a son and he had a birthday. You got to have a birthday party. Got to figure out how to have a birthday party. There's a carnival that came to town. So he said, well, why don't you get four of your buddies and we'll go to the carnival and, and we'll treat them the carnival. So they go to the carnival. The day comes, the birthday comes, and there's the dad and his son. And four, so they have five little guys. And they're, you know, the dad's going to get the tickets and then they go and get in line for, you know, the merry-go-round. And he hands out five tickets. And then they go jump in line for the Ferris wheel. And he hands out five tickets. He's done this. And about the third ride, he hands out five tickets. And then, then there's a sixth hand. Holding his hand, I looks down, there's another little guy about the same size as his son. And he's holding out the ticket. He goes, who are you? And that's a good question because as a dad, I could see me being in that situation forgetting that I had six or five or four and going home. And, oh, wait, we, where'd George go? We, can't, we left George behind. So he's like, who are you? And, and this little guy, smart as a whip, points to the birthday son and he says, I'm with him. <laughs> ticket and hand, off we go. Right? What's the dad going to do? No, you're not. You're with him. You're in. There's going to come a time when we stand before God. And metaphorically speaking, God's going to say, who are you? 
and you get to point to Jesus. And you say, I'm with him. And between now and then, Jesus says, and you get to follow me in in, in the process. You get to learn what it means to be my disciple, to deny, to take up your cross, to follow me, to not be ashamed, but to be overjoyed. Even when persecution comes, even when difficult times come, you get to identify with me as your Savior and your Lord. Do we really want to follow Jesus? Will you pray with me? Father, we pray for hearts of devotion. Lord, as I I read this text, I know how far short I can fall of giving you my my whole heart, my desires and my passions, denying myself, taking up my cross, following you. Uh, I know I'll, I'll, I'll probably get it as wrong as many times as I get it right. But Lord, I thank you that you, you don't abandon me. Your devotion is perfect and it's complete. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us. Pray for me. I pray for everybody in this congregation who is a disciple that, that we would grow in following you. That's the, the answer to the question, do we want to follow Jesus, is a resounding yes. Even though we know at times it will be of great challenge. But we know what the outcome is and we know that Jesus promises to bring us home safely. So, Lord, we we thank you for your mercy and your kindness. We thank you for your cross. And we thank you for the challenges that come our way and the moments when we experience sadness and difficult times because it reminds us that, that you've gone before us in those things. Your devotion took you to the cross. My devotion hasn't taken me to a cross. Your devotion cost you everything so that you could give life to me and to, to us. And so we want to praise you for that, but we also want to ask that you would grow us up in that, that we would look more like you tomorrow than we do today in order that you would be glorified and that our hearts would grow in our love for you and our devotion to you. We pray in your name. Amen.